In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, so when you watch the new film Dumb Money, a lot of phrases start showing up. And unless you were extremely online a few years ago in a very specific way, these little phrases might not mean much to you. They're like, Roaring Kitty, Diamond Hands, Wall Street Bets, To the Moon. Yeah, so these things might not mean a lot to you, but they were part of the vernacular around one of the biggest David and Goliath stories Wall Street has ever seen. Back during lockdown, so like 2020, 2021, one of the major stories in the news was about this online movement that started on the website Reddit, where thousands of amateur stock traders, including a lot of people who had never traded a stock before in their lives, all started investing in the stock for the video game company GameStop. And the goal wasn't just to send GameStop's shares to the moon, but to force hedge fund managers who had bet against the stock to force them to lose billions of dollars. It was a really captivating story, right? The little guy versus the evil, greedy Wall Street gods. And now, in way less time than usual... There's a movie about it. It's called Dumb Money. It's by a guy named Craig Gillespie. Uh, Craig made films like I, Tanya, Million Dollar Arm, the miniseries Pam and Tommy. The film had its premiere at this year's Toronto International Film Festival. Listen, after all that explanation, if you're still confused about exactly what happened two or three years ago and what this has to do with kittens and stocks, Craig does explain it pretty well in our conversation. I should mention, uh, we taped this interview while the writers and actors strike was ongoing. Here's my conversation with Craig Gillespie. How are you? Thank you, Tom. It's, uh, it's actually really lovely to be here. It, I'm it's glad. Like, I'm glad yeah, it's it actually really lovely to be here. It's so calm. <laughs> yeah. It's like you got nice microphones, headsets. It's like we're away from all the fray. I feel like asking you, if, 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 do you like the stock? <laughs> I, I've had my ups and downs in this case. I don't know if you actually, you've heard about this, but the whole reason I discovered GameStop at the time with COVID, my son, who's 24, I've got two sons. One of them was living with us. Yeah. And he was in on Wall Street Bets early. Uh-huh. So we went through this whole journey with him. Tell me. Tell me the story. Um, so what happened? Well, it's amazingly, it's like he started out very early on and about three months out from when we had this big rally. So he'd talk about it and just Wall Street and Bets in general. And he was, he was actually like uh, looking at other stocks as well and just the conversations going on. But it really started to circle around GameStop. And then in this two weeks that led up to the, to the massive short squeeze that happened – it, it started to get really riveting, and uh, he's, 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 he was doing options, very much like the college girls in the film, mm-hmm. and uh, just the intensity of what was happening, the chatter that was happening online. You see you know, Elon Musk would tweet game stonked, and there'd be another spike. You know, Mark Cuban would chime in with something, and there'd be a, an enormous amount of chatter, the memes that were happening, and the intensity for that last 24 hours. He was in options. It, he was up at 6 a.m. checking the pre-market going to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning after looking at what's going on in Europe and checking the phone every three minutes trying to figure out when to sell. And you were there watching him. What was going yeah. through your mind? 
some some of that what is in that film where it's like what are you doing why aren't you selling what's going on right you were saying hey you're making so much money here. yeah you i mean sell. he he's i mean we, we're not talking the kind of money of obviously of what was going on with roaring kitty and stuff but he was more in the world of like some of our other characters and you know it, it multiplied 50 times right you know because he was in options and um so that stress level of going through that and then he did sell perfectly timed it that you know the next day robin hood put a freeze on, on the buy option. Uh, Wall Street Bets got shut down by Reddit. The stock plummeted from 400 to 100. The outrage online, the, the, just the, the sheer like frustration of a system that felt rigged against them. And then obviously going through Congress, I, I got to live through that like front row seat with him. And that's the intensity that I wanted to bring to the film. Um, let me let me explain what we're talking about for people who aren't familiar with the story. And I, I'm just gonna we, we spent a lot of time actually trying to figure out how we were gonna tell the story to the people listening to this who haven't seen the film yet. So I'm gonna try this. You let me know how we did. Hedge fund managers um, placed a lot of money on the stock market that GameStop, the retail store that sells video games, would fail. This is called shorting the stock. A Reddit community called Wall Street Bets, led uh, sort of unofficially by a guy who went by the name Roaring Kitty, saw that happening. He started a stock buying spree that led to the stock going from around a handful of dollars to over $400 at one point. The hedge fund guys start losing billions of dollars. It all ends up in an inquiry at United States Congress. Does that sum it up okay? That's pretty good. It's pretty close to what Stephen Colbert says in the film. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just setting setting the table a little bit, you know? Yeah, it's like and the very you know, the very simplistic version was the hedge funds were betting the stock would go down and all the Reddit users were betting it would go up, and if it did go up, it would royally screw all the hedge funds. So you saw this happening with your own son and you said, I think I wanna I wanna direct the story about no. this? <laughs> No, I did right, not, thanks, actually. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> um, at the time, it was a fascinating story. I was in the thick of, of prepping another film uh, with uh, Lauren Shookabloom and Rebecca Angelo, who are the writers on Dumb Money. Uh, and in the next few months, we kept talking about this. That they, were, they were starting to work on it very quickly as well as the project we were working on. But I was just a few months out from shooting this other project with them, and it suddenly imploded. And the next day, they sent that script over, and I read it, and it was capturing everything that I was experiencing when it was happening in real time. Uh, I could see it immediately with with the version of the script. They'd done a beautiful job tracking these multiple characters and telling a very complicated story in a way that was emotional. Um, interestingly, because it was also happening in real time, like we were, we were only months out from when it happens at this point. Uh, that's from when they had written it to when I was coming on board had been the congressional hearing. And I said, we have to have that in the film. That has to be, you know, it's like when you, when you look at these posts of Roaring Kitty and you see that final testimony he has to do in front of Congress as an individual compared to the corporations that he's up against, just to see that journey of a person and what they, you know, that their life is at stake right now. It was just an amazing story to tell. How do you tell that story? I mean, like, it's um, it's a unique challenge because it is. I don't want people to think that this is a documentary, and I don't want people to think that this is um, a story only about like stock options and about like you know uh, Wall Street bets and Reddit, because it is um, uh, also a story about people with hopes and dreams about you know s- single parents you know trying to. Uh, double or triple or, or try to get more money just to be able to like stay alive during the pandemic. It's a story. It's a story of family. It's a story of a lot of things. How do you, as a director, tell 
the story while at the same time having to do a lot of explanation of what shorting is about what Wall Street bets is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, on a very simple level, it seems like, yeah, we're talking about stocks, but ultimately we're not. It's like, to me, what was fascinating about this story, you know, we're in, we're in the middle of COVID. COVID was an experience as, as a civilization we've ne- we haven't had for a century. And obviously in our lifetimes, we've never experienced it. And I think it it was having a profound effect. There was this real sense of this wealth disparity that's going on in the world. You were seeing it on social media. You were seeing the frustrations of like not having government aid, particularly in the United States. People losing their homes, people losing loved ones. Social movements like Black Lives Matter. There was there was this real reckoning that coming on like a, in an existential way with people. It's like prioritizing what's important in life, like the work balance to life balance. All of these things were like bubbling. Uh, this alienation and trying to find a community. It happened to be that GameStop became like the perfect mouthpiece for this frustration. It happened to be that it was a stock, but in the way that people could have an opportunity to make money, they had to have an opportunity to be heard. And it was this collection of people, you know, on Wall Street Bets, it went from 400,000 people to, in eight weeks to eight million people. And they really wanted... The, like these one percenters, or in many cases these point oh one percenters, to know how frustrated they were with the wealth disparity in this country, with with the system feeling inherently rigged against them, and this was the way to do it. It's like it's still continuing. You know, this dialogue in various other ways is obviously the strike going on in Hollywood, um, but this was one of the first opportunities to have a voice. We'll be right back. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How, when you have someone like Rory and Kitty, and I think people who don't know the story might sort of laugh at the at the name. Yeah. Oh, AKA Deep Value. Yeah, Deep Value. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's the public radio name for him. Yeah. <laughs> and we were um, talking about this. I, I was watching... Mm his videos, and I was watching the screenshots mainly of his account. So uh, this is a guy who was, you know, he was sort of leading the charge unofficially, uh, we find out, like leading the charge. And every day he would post after the markets closed how he did that day. And I remember watching and looking at these images that would go up on Reddit and kind of seeing like, okay, how's, how is he doing? Once he sold, he disappeared. I mean, we never, we never yeah. saw him again. And so th- we don't actually know that much about the guy. And he didn't sell everything. Yeah. So we don't even know how much he's holding at this point. How did um, how did you land on Paul Dano, who I only found out recently? Dano thought it was Dano my entire well, life. It could be your accent. Oh yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> you wouldn't know anything about that. Uh, how did you land on Paul Dano for that? Oh, it's. I mean, he's such an amazing actor, such a versatile actor. He's somebody I've been wanting to work with for a long time. And, uh, you know, just that year, just on Fableman's and Batman in the same year, just that range. 
is 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 crazy. But there is this innocence and this like altruism and this earnestness and this vulnerability to the Roaring Kitty Keith Gill person on the post that he does. And it was something that I think intrigued the internet. And I was really looking to capture that. And I went back and I looked at uh, Swiss Army Man that Paul had done. And there was this like vitality to it and this exuberance that I could see those qualities in, in some of the postings of Keith Gill. And that's where I, I knew he could absolutely deliver on this. So uh, we talked and he really connected to it. And I was thrilled to have him come on board. Were you able to reach Roaring Kitty? Because again, like once he left, people were trying to find out more from him and no one could reach him. No, we, uh, we, we reached out along the way. We, get, we gave him you know, ample opportunity to, to connect on this and talk about it. But he hasn't responded, and honestly, it's like I, we just want to respect his privacy for that. I was surprised, and I hope you take this in the spirit that I mean it. I was surprised that this film came out so quickly. Maybe you could talk a little bit about why, why this needed to happen so urgently. I, to me, because it's the conversation that's happening right now, and I, I want it to be a part of that conversation. It's like, you know, as, we're, as I was mentioning, you know, with the strikes that are going on in Hollywood and this wealth disparity of the haves and the have-nots and wanting to be heard, this is part of that narrative. And the hope, you know, with when this event was occurring, I had this sense of outrage and frustration for that community, for, like, what is going on. And the, the, lack, the lack of accountability that happened in this particular instance. And so the hope is that it just keeps generating that conversation. What are the parallels you see between this and the strike? You brought it up a couple of times. Uh, you know, it's like you've got a situation right now where it's like we want transparency. We want to know, like, you know, we want to see we, you know, what's going on with, like, the enormous, uh, you know, amount of money that is being made in these productions. And, like... That the streamers are taking in all this money and they're yeah, making Yeah, and, you, and, you, yeah, and you don't exactly know what's going on. You, yeah. And you see, like, these, like, salaries of, uh, you know, large corporations. And, and then you, you you got people below the line arguing for pennies and... And it's like you just you know you you feel the gap that's happening with inflation that hasn't you know it hasn't followed so, like really trying to you know, like have some accountability. Yeah, I walked out of the theater uh, of the screening of the film, um, having a conversation with my, my friend Mitch out there who produced this, and and we were having one conversation. I was listening to other people having other conversations, all people who had just seen the film, and it was amazing to hear the variety of people saying like, "Wow, it was so nice to see them really stick it to the man." It was. I heard someone else say. Oh, yeah, and nothing ever changes. Nothing ever changes. This is an unwinnable battle, you know? Yeah. Where do you land? Where was your cynicism level after making this film? It, it wasn't unwinnable. You know, it's like, uh, obviously, Roaring Kitty did extremely well with this. Uh, you know, it arguably saved GameStop. Four weeks later, they rallied and and saved AMC. You know, it's uh, there's a line... Which is another stock that was... Another yeah, stock yeah, that... Yeah, yeah there was another meme stock... There's a line at the end of the film that, you know, like the Reddit community was considered this fringe movement and now they can actually move markets and there's accountability in that. And so that is a seismic shift just in itself. That hadn't existed before. Uh, 85% of hedge funds now are monitoring social platforms because of this. And they've really backed off on short squeezes, which is something that inherently you know, damages many people's lives. Well, I, I wonder about what you need to be able to tell the stories that you tell. What is it? I mean, you think about I you think about Itania. You think about you think about uh, Mike Tyson, um, and, and a number of other pro projects you've worked on, and now this one. What attracts you to telling stories about real people? 
I, it's funny. I'm not looking to tell stories about real people. I, I see something that, that I connect with within, the, within uh, primarily those characters or the perception or a way to look at the story in a new way um, that attracts me. It's like, it seems to be, I, I definitely have a theme with outsiders or underdogs. Um, I'll have to investigate that at some point <laughs> with my, with myself, but, uh, it's, it's, it's literally just the material. This is like the, this was like an ordinary person that got put in an extraordinary situation that he didn't ask to be put in. And then he had to rise to the occasion of that, uh, you know, and all the way into having to go and testify at Congress. It's, uh, you know, that, that idea of like, you know, you get to put yourself in those shoes and be like, how would I handle this? What would I do in this situation? Like you know, it's like it's it's at the you know the the involvement of his family and the you know the expense of that and and the public persona of all of that and like leaning in for Congress, it's just a fascinating story. But you're not talking about J. Edgar Hoover here. You're not talking about people who have passed on in any of your work. You know, yeah. I mean, um, uh, the, when I Tanya came out, there was so much conversation. All these articles, Vanity Fair wrote an article on the real Tanya Harding. You know, and I don't have to tell you that when Pam and Tommy came out, there was a lot of controversy around that. I mean, Pamela yeah. Anderson was right there talking yeah. to me about her feelings, which were not positive on it. And now you have this film about again real people, real people who lost money, yeah. people who made a lot of money. Can you tell me a little bit about when you tell stories about real people and real people who are alive right now, does that come with a different responsibility than telling fictional stories or no, telling? No, it absolutely does. And there's definitely a weight with that. And, and for me, it's like I'm trying to put it in the context of – because a lot of times these, these are events happening within our society that have a narrative within our, our society. So it's trying to put it in a context that we look at it in a different way. That we look at, like like how they were treated within our community, within our society, is often a part of that narrative. And so, if I feel like we try and stay very faithful to what's factual, yeah, yeah, to what you know we know in the media, we try and pull as much as we can from what's what's like verified, uh, either whether it's interviews or footage or whatever it is, and then try to recontextualize it and look at it in a different way that I feel is in favor of the people that we're talking about. I understand what you mean now. So the, yeah. the, the idea that this is, each of these stories are, um, I'm just making sure I understand this. Each of these stories are stories. They're almost like symbolic stories. Yeah. What is, what is uh, uh, dumb money? But again, the story of wealth inequality and the story of yeah. David and Goliath. What is I, Tanya, except for like the corruption within competition and, and sport? And through and these- And also us as a society- the way that we consume media, the, the judgments that we have, you know, we're complicit in this. Yeah. You know, and it's like she was she was a punchline. Yeah. For two decades. Yeah. You know, Obama was was using her as a punchline in his campaign against Hillary Clinton. Yeah. It was just commonly accepted, and we're complicit in that. And to be able to stop and make people look at it in a different way and be accountable, I think that's 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 the goal. And it's you know we are taking people that are already in the public eye and trying to change. Or look at that narrative in a different way. Are you looking at anything in the world right now and going, well, maybe that's maybe that's interesting? There's, there's a couple of projects uh, for sure um, that I'm circling, and uh, you know, I'd say everything's a little bit on pause right now with the mm -hmm. strike. So, but but I'm certainly got things that we have our eye on. I think if I was in a position of power, if I was like a banker or something like that, and I found out that your team was like phoning <laughs> around, I'd, I'd get a little freaked out. I'd start to build the bomb shelters. It, dep like it depends what, what what's in your closet, I think. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed the film. And as, I mean, it made up for the money I lost. So I had a great time. <laughs> 
thanks for the closure on that. Uh, lovely to have you here. Thanks so much Thank for coming Thank you. In. It was lovely to be here, Tom. I was speaking with the filmmaker Craig Gillespie. His latest film, Dumb Money, just premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. All right, that's it for the show today. Uh, the other episode we have up today, if you haven't caught it already, it's with Talking Heads. All four members of Talking Heads, like, never thought that would ever happen. All four members of the band, this is a band that's barely been in the same room, much less done an interview together, all came in, sat around this table. Can you hear that? This table right, this table right here. <laughs> and it talked a little bit about the early days of the band, talked a little bit about the film Stop Making Sense. And at one point, David Byrne says uh, what he's most proud of when it comes to Talking Heads. And it just was a lovely moment for all four of them. And for me. All right, go uh, check that out. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.